Hi, this is Dr. Sean Handorp, clinical psychologist and health behavior expert, and this is the Motivation Made Easy podcast. Each week, I'll be bringing you science-backed information, strategies, and inspiration to master your relationship with food so that you can feel in control of your habits, respect your body, and free your mind to focus on the things in life that truly matter. I'm a clinical psychologist, and I've had years of experience doing research and patient care in the field of weight management and eating disorders. So I've had the insider view on understanding what works and what we're getting very, very wrong. In this podcast, you'll find practical information and tips based on motivation science, interviews from experts, and stories from real people and how they've navigated their relationship with food. My goal is to empower you with information, inspire you to make changes that fit you, and feel 100% supported along the way. So settle in and make yourself comfortable, and get excited to learn and take action for a better, healthier, more energized life. Hey everyone, Dr. Hondorp here. Welcome back to another episode I really feel like we're coming into 2022 hot, meaning I think we have some incredible guests. If you missed last week's episode with Dr. Alexis Connison, please go back and check that out. You are not going to want to miss that episode. You're not going to want to miss this week's episode with Stephanie Michelle, and you're not going to want to miss the next week's episode either with Dr. Yami. So we've got a lot of goodness coming at your at you in 2022 and I'm super excited about it. So let's talk about today's episode with Stephanie Michelle. If you know me at all, you know I'm not a social media fan, probably for a lot of reasons you know that I think are legitimate, but also probably cuz I'm not super skilled at it myself and that's okay. So strong kind of emotional writing isn't necessarily my strength. Um, In fact, I have an intern now who's incredible and she's going to become an officially an psychology of wellness team member this year. And she writes a lot of email copy for me and subject lines because I, I love writing and I can write, but I have this tendency to focus on the data and logical facts, which isn't always that compelling. As humans, we are emotional beings. I think it was Brene Brown who said, or I think she was quoting someone else, but she said, we are not cognitive, logical beings who sometimes feel. We are emotional beings who sometimes think. And I thought that was kind of uh, kind of funny, but also true. We are guided by emotions. We are motivated by emotions, certainly in terms of the topic of this podcast. So, you know, what in this episode today, I said this at the end of this interview, but I'll say it again now. Stephanie Michelle has a gift. She has an ability to break down concepts related to the experience of binge eating and the binge restrict cycle in a way that I feel is very unique and really speaks to the very human and real experience of this shame-filled cycle. And certainly I've been in this cycle. I know how it felt, but there's something very really incredible about the way that she talks about it, but also really breaks down the the process in a way that's really, really helpful. So it also struck me 
I would say while I was talking with her, and I, I said a couple times during the interview that I got chills because I was thinking about how she's such a cool example of what I often talk about, which is we need more women to get out of the ineffective dieting cycle ASAP so that they can show up in their lives in a courageous and connected way and so that they can share their unique gifts and strengths with the world so that we can use those gifts to start solving some of the many um, real and very pressing social problems in the world. And we could list many of those, right? So Stephanie has many followers on Instagram, I think 25,000 at the time of this recording. She, on that profile, offers great free insights into binge eating recovery. So I highly recommend that you follow her if you're on social media. But I want you to even just like contemplate and think about the domino effect of one person such as Stephanie getting out of this ineffective binge restrict cycle and how much one person can impact so many other people and helping them to get out of their cycle. And so I just think that's cool. And I think that's something that in a world that feels so out of control and so uncertain, particularly right now in the world that we live in, it's it's cool to think about the flip side of some of these shifts and changes that we can make and how that can impact so many other people down the road. And again, think about all the people she's impacting and how if they get out of this ineffective cycle, the, the ways that they can show up in their lives. So clearly super excited about this interview. In terms of what to expect today, we're going to talk about Stephanie's journey of being in the binge restrict cycle for 25 years. And we're going to talk about how a moment in her kitchen helped her turn the corner towards true recovery. We're also going to talk about why she was in years of treatment for an eating disorder and why it didn't work for her. And this is an unfortunate reality of some of the eating disorder treatment that exists. I think it's changing and improving, but there's still very much a weight focus. And she's going to talk about that. And I think that we can all learn from her experience. We're also going to cover five really crucial questions to ask yourself. If you can relate to this statement, I'm allowing all foods, but I'm still binging. Is this right? This is actually a post on social media that I saw and I was drawn to and I shared it and I kind of um, chatted with her. And this is just one post that she has that I think is a great example of how she really breaks these concepts down. So we're going to go through those five questions. We're also going to talk about this concept of what it means to stay with yourself and stay with your body and how this can help you in so many areas. And then finally, we're going to talk about how a creative outlet may help accelerate your recovery. So I am really excited to dive into this interview. So let's get going. Do you ever worry that you're wasting your life? I definitely did. In fact, I wrote that in my journal many years ago when I was in the middle of the diet binge roller coaster ride. I woke up every day thinking about food, my body, and what I would eat that day to quote unquote be healthy. The notebooks I had filled with calories and points could fill up a spare bedroom. Social events and vacations immediately prompted the thought, they will notice I've gained weight, or I need to lose weight by then. Deep down, I knew I wasn't living life the way I wanted to, but I didn't know how to pull myself out of it. If this is you, I want you to imagine what it would feel like to feel empowered in your body and proud of your choices on a consistent basis. I promise you this is possible and it isn't too late. You see, dieting steals our motivation. 
It makes us ineffective and lose faith in ourselves. It keeps us spinning our wheels in a system that was never built to work. If you're ready to take that first step to motivating yourself with what matters to you, download my Cultivate Powerful Motivation Guide, which is quite beautifully designed if I say so myself, and walk through the simple three steps to cultivate motivation that works for you in 15 minutes or less. You'll get a simple formula to write one sentence at the end that you can use to motivate yourself on a daily basis. You can write this sentence on your bathroom mirror, put it on the background of your phone, or just read it and repeat it in your mind consistently. Look, I know how much it hurts to live a life worrying that you're missing out, not stepping into the person that you were truly meant to be. You can listen to the podcast all day, but taking that first step, putting pen to paper or typing on your phone, is required for true lasting change. It's time to start living, my friend. So it's 100% free. What are you waiting for? Grab your free guide today at drhondorp.com forward slash motivate. That's D-R-H-O-N-D-O-R-P.com forward slash motivate. And before we dive into today's episode, just a reminder that this podcast and corresponding blog are for informational and educational purposes only and should not ever be construed as any form of professional advice. If you are struggling in any of these areas or trying to figure out how this applies to your specific situation, always consult a professional for guidance. All right, let's dive in. All right, so welcome everyone back to the Motivation Made Easy podcast. Today I have Stephanie Michelle to talk to us today about some really important topics. I actually found uh, Stephanie on Instagram and just really loved the way that she was describing um, some of the topics that so many people struggle with, like we're going to delve into a lot today, but how to know if you're really allowing all foods, how to understand what's going on with feeling like you're trying to give yourself permission, but still struggling with binge eating. So we're going to talk about that and more, but welcome, welcome, Stephanie. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So let's uh, start from a little bit from the beginning. I'd love to learn more about you and kind of your, your personal journey. And if we could start with your relationship with food growing up, if you don't mind, I'd Mm. love to start there. Yeah. So I was raised in a household where my mom had a really easy relationship with food, which isn't very common. Um, I hear most of my clients, I would say like 90% have uh, been raised in a, in an environment where their mothers were very controlling of food or they were dieting together. It was kind of a bonding experience. And my mom was never that way. Um, to this day, she's really just easy and intuitive with food. My father though, was not, and had, um, there were lots of rules and judgments around food that were born of his own disordered relationship with it. And so I guess I was around the age, you know, I was in that sort of prepubescent stage where my body was beginning to change and I was um, just getting more fat around my legs and hips and thighs and things. Um, just that prepubescent, like, you know, the changes we go through. Mm -hmm. And I think my dad got scared that, you know, this would mean that I might, you know, that I was, I was somehow like outside of the norm. Now I was in danger. I was potentially going to get fat. And he, uh, further started controlling, uh, and judging the foods that we were allowed to eat. And so, um, at the time it came off as kind of like 
just passive judgment, not necessarily explicit, but I started to really, um, understand that food was not as free to me as it had always been. And there were more parameters around the things. And that sometimes I would choose something to eat that I just wanted to, I don't know, just sounded good to me. That was like, Oh, but that has this much, I know this was the fat, the, the low fat craze time. Yeah. Um, you know, this has too much. <laughs> totally, <laughs> yep. um, you know, so wanting, peanut butter all of a sudden was just not okay. Uh, and so I started to really internalize that and not on a conscious level. So I, I just realized that there was maybe some scarcity, um, underneath and started to conform. I started to become like compliant with that and like, uh, okay, I'll restrict it. Then this is something I shouldn't have. I really believed in that. And I became really disordered in my own relationship with, with restriction and lost, all of that weight, you know, that was trying to just get me to the next stage of life. And, um, I lost my period. I didn't know, you know, I, I didn't know why I was, um, obsessed with exercise and things like that. And, um, that began the, 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 the disorder I, you know, that eventually turned into an eating disorder. Um, and then after that, there came, they came, there came the rebellion, but that was how it started. Um, that was where, the restriction initially showed itself and lasted for several years before my body started to fight back. Okay. And fight back, meaning the binge eating starting. Yeah. So, um, you know, in the beginning, when, when the, when the body's first put through this restrictive phase, it's relatively easy. And I remember thinking, oh, wow, like this is, I don't know, why doesn't everybody do this? You know, this is just so easy to do. <laughs> um, but at the time, you know, my body was just sort of going along with it. And then several years in, I binged for the first time, um, had no prior knowledge of like really what a binge was. I wasn't familiar with binge eating disorder. I just know that I, I saw food and it was like all of my, you know, willpower, quote unquote, what I thought was willpower, um, like just disappeared. And I, it was interesting. It was such a weird experience because I remember, the, the part, there was a part of my brain that was very much still in a restriction mindset. And I was judging my, I was like, no, we don't eat this food. This is not something we do, but I couldn't help it. It was like, there was a different side of my brain that was like acting on its own, on its own behalf. And just, mm -hmm. and the two sides of myself were in such conflict for the first time that it stuck out so much to me in my, in my mind. And essentially that's what happened for the next 25 years. I mean, these two sides of the brain were fighting. Um, but it was the first time I remember feeling that and being so confused by how, what, you know, this, how my brain had been so one track before. Mm -hmm. And it was like, yeah, that's just what we do. We don't eat these things. And then there was some other voice that now was at play that, yeah. um, was just literally hijacking me. And, um, I, I ate an entire bowl of pasta salad <laughs> yeah. and that that was the first binge that I had. And it, it only escalated after that. And all I did was fight it, but, um, to no avail. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of interesting to me in in that how different it can be for when that kind of first binge starts and and it can be so variable for people. For me it kind of started pretty quick on like I was doing not really restricted things but but then for other people I've worked with like it can be more similar to your story where they're like I was able to kind of like 
be successful, quote unquote, right, of, mm-hmm. of feeling like this felt actually pretty doable. And, and so many people I talked to, they're like, yeah, I could follow programs really, really well for many years. And so it's kind of fascinating. I don't think, mm-hmm. I think we know that the biology eventually takes over, but I don't think we know exactly why and how it shows up for people. So it's just sort of yeah. thinking about that as you were reflecting your story of, um, but for people to know, like, it's certainly not a willpower thing, as you mentioned, and and if there's no shame in it, although they're often, well, there almost always is shame in it for the person um, yeah. in it, but it's really just your, your body trying to protect you and it shows up differently for different people for a variety of reasons. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't, you know, I think that's the whole thing is that you don't know this. Like when I didn't, I had no idea that this wasn't my willpower. I thought that I just lost my willpower. So I was so like, there's shame in the eating itself, but there was also just like anger. It was like, what's wrong with you? Why, why can't you get it together? Like that part is what would make those binges worse. Um, I, I call them like meta binges where like you're binging and then the shame of the binge itself takes over because you don't understand why, and you're just blaming yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's the, or the lack of self-compassion and even just awareness of how this really works. We're not really taught that a diet will rebound like that. Right. It's really all our fault if it does. And that whole, um, narrative keeps I think just exacerbates the shame of it and the frustration that, you know, heightens the emotions that then channel further into a binge. And so not understanding how this worked for so long, I think kept me much more stuck in it than, you know, now in social media, there's so many more ways to learn about how this is the physiology, like the science of it. Mm -hmm. And I think that is so helpful to be able to, to offer yourself self-compassion in moments like this, to say like, this is a this is my body doing something that it's designed to do like in its DNA. (laughs) So it's not necessarily something that is my fault. Yeah. Yeah. I like how you said that the, the meta aspect of the binge and that's, yeah, that's again, some of what I was drawn to you. I was like the way you sort of break these topics down, I think is so, so useful. So I'll say at the end, but if you're not already follow I am Stephanie Michelle, and we'll link to that in the show notes because there's lots of different areas. I know you're teaching people about these topics. And, but before we delve into some of the details of that, what helped you kind of move away? You said it was 25 years of this kind of cycle, give or take. And so that's a long time. And I don't know if you want to reflect on that a bit, but then also I'd love to know what was helpful to you eventually. Yeah, sure. So um, yeah, 25 years is a long time. And at that point, point, I was pretty much convinced that this was my life like Mm -hmm. sentence. Uh, and I really just thought it was more a matter of, Oh, I'm broken. Like there's something in my hormones, uh, or in my blood work or my neurotransmitters, like something's off with me and it causes me to have excess hunger. And, um, you know, I just thought I had broken synapses and I went to all sorts of doctors over the years to correct it. I, I, I sought out like endocrinologists and hormone specialists and naturopaths. And I mean, every, every doctor, every specialist that might have something to do with hunger or uh, mood or um, the brain neurology, I just was like, what's wrong with me? I really had no idea <laughs> that I was perpetuating the, my own cycle because essentially what those 25 years were filled with was um, it, to varying degrees at different times in my life, but it was just a, a, the restriction there that, that was happening. And I never would have called it that. I never would have called it that because at no time was I underweight, quote unquote. Um, at no time was I even 
like low eating, low calorie or anything like that. And that was my definition of what restriction was. I, I, I think that there's a conception that if you're restricting, it means you're either, um, anorexic or you are malnourished and underweight. And that, in fact, I was just going through lots of periods where I was eating a lot of food and binging. And then I would follow that up by what I thought was completely appropriate restriction because you need to make up for what you've been doing, you know, the damage you're doing. And it's kind of like, okay, well, my body got enough food today. So it certainly shouldn't need any tomorrow. You know, it certainly shouldn't need as much as, as it normally would, you know, um, tomorrow. So if I just let these numbers even out, we should be good to go and not understanding that that is the cycle of, of binging and restricting. And so I, um, and if it wasn't the physical act of restricting it was the intention to, so many times yep. what would happen is I would binge and, you know, that could, that could be one day or it could be many. Um, sometimes it would be in like weekly, uh, cycles of just weeks of binging. And I would then intend to restrict and I, sometimes I couldn't, I just couldn't, I would literally wake up the next morning and go right into the next binge. But on, I, I also didn't under, and this is, was the other reason why I was like, well, I'm not restricting. I, I'm actually not restricting because I can't, like, I just, I'm yes. binging constantly, mm-hmm. but the mental restriction piece here is so powerful. And I, I never understood it, but when your brain is expecting that, you know, food is going to be withheld, even if it's not actually coming to fruition, that the brain doesn't know the difference between a reality and a, per, a perceived reality. So it's preparing either way. Yes. Um, and so, and yeah, that, the like restriction can look so different. Like you were saying, like it can be the intention, it can be following a, you know, a what we are told is a balanced diet with 1600 calories or something, or even, even more potentially it can, that can still be restriction or even the intention behind it. So there's so many different levels of that. And I think that's so important because there's so many misconceptions about people. There's no way I'm restricting. That's something I hear a lot, which is because no one has ever told them that perhaps, but also they've never been able to wrap their head around some of the concepts they're hearing very much applies to their experience. So Mm -hmm. I do appreciate you sharing because it sounds like you very much believe that was like the perpetuating cycle factor that was not addressed. And you're trying to address it with all these other like specialists and, and methods that maybe would have helped in some way, but we're, we're missing the core. That's what it was. It was, I was, I was completely bypassing the fact that the, that, that this restriction was actually perpetuating the cycle. And, um, and, and I think that's in part due to, I mean, you're, we're, I had therapists who were trained, you know, we're eating disorder specialists and they would, talk about the remedy for binge eating being just like adopting a healthy diet. And that was part of what was taught to me, like as, as treatment. Um, and so this idea of moderation and of, um, clean eating even was like something that was supposed to be helpful to me. And I thought I was doing the right thing by pursuing those things. And instead it was really driving me deeper and deeper. And I think that's why this is so confusing because it, it really feels like that's what you should be aiming for is this level of moderation and control in these, you know, because it feels like it's warranted. It feels like that level of control is what we're after. And we need to learn more control. That's the, that's the opposite of binge eating, right. It's like having some more control when in fact that just digs the hole more and more. And so I was approaching 40. I had three children. I have three girls too. <laughs> um, and you know, the 
saying insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. I mean, I'd heard that for, I, I knew the phrase, but all of a sudden I, um, I was, I was, I think it was, I was in my kitchen <laughs> and my daughter was my oldest daughter who is now 10. She was, uh, I don't remember exactly how old she was. She was getting to the point where she was beginning to notice that I was eating different dinners or that I was not having dinner. I wasn't sitting down, um, because I had binged earlier in the day and I was trying to even things out. Um, and I realized that this had happened one, two, like, it was like another time that I wasn't having dinner. And I remember well, like the last time that happened, I was like, okay, well, I'll just go on keto and then I will, you know, I'll sit down and I'll just have the dinner without the carbs. And it was like, okay. And here I was again, like, wait, I did that. And here I am again, not having dinner. Like what has happened? And I realized like, I don't know if it was how conscious it was, but it was like this moment of saying, this is going to keep happening for, throughout my children's lives. And they're just going to start picking up on it. And it's always going to be, oh, well, here's my next remedy. Here's the thing that'll get me back into like some kind of normal mom mode. And it's not happening because here I am again. Um, and when I recognized that and recognized the risk of my kids growing up, seeing that, um, there was something in me that just, I, I, I think I came to like a level of awareness that I am just, I am just going around in circles. I'm not getting anywhere. And I haven't been this whole time. It's just looked different every time. It's always a different promise of something that works for a little while and then doesn't anymore. And how do I break this chain? I just, I didn't know how, but I just realized that that was, that was going to be my life story. Um, and that none of these specialists were actually able to come up with anything for me that was going to fix me. So How where was I going to be left? How did you feel in that moment? Like, were you <laughs> scared? Were you like, I'm just curious. That's like a, a deer in headlights. I think, I, I, I think it was a fear that I, I felt like a fear and a, because I had nowhere to jump to, like, it was the first time I realized there was nothing to clean, like the, it, the next lifestyle change wasn't the answer. And up, up until that point, it was like, okay, I could cling to that idea. It was like, okay, this is going to be the thing. So, okay. All right. Let's just like, now I can release this anxiety because I can put it in the next thing I'm doing. And it was, a, it was like getting to the edge of a cliff and realizing, oh, there's nowhere else to jump. <laughs> oh no. Um, so there was a level of panic, mm-hmm. but I think there was also a level of relief because I think it was the first time that I was able to see it and just being able to see where I was, even though I had no idea, I was like, well, I'm here at the edge of this cliff. I have nowhere to go, but it was, at least I know that <laughs> at least I know what I'm dealing with rather than imagining I'm getting somewhere I'm not getting. Um, so what happened was I actually heard of this, the fuck it diet. I know you might have to bleep that out oh. <laughs> by Caroline Zuner. Yeah. <laughs> That's the name of the book. So what do you, you gotta, we gotta say yeah. it. <laughs> it is it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> The effort diet, I guess, diet. for the, the non bleeped out version. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I had heard of this book, and I, I was interested in the theories of the book that I'd read about on social media at the time. I was in that like, I think I, had, I just found some anti diet accounts and non the non diet approach, and I was like, no, I'm not buying that. But I kept following um, because I think that on some level, like you know, mm-hmm. so I. I was like, well, let me read this book. And I, and I read that book. And when I read the book, everything she said, um, and for anyone unfamiliar, I mean, it's, it's, it's it's, Caroline Duner is not a, um, a therapist or, or a dietitian or anything like that. She, she just was someone who had gone through it and, and come out on the other side and wrote about it. 
And what she was describing was like essentially my life up until that point. And I resonated with all of her experiences and all of her thoughts. And when she described giving yourself permission to eat and that yes, even if you're a binge eater, like you need more permission to eat. When she, when the, when I read these words, I knew they were correct. I, I was like, that is, I just needed someone to give me permission. Um, and that kind of knowing was just flooded me. And I was like, this is, this is something I need to do. Um, I need to give myself permission and I need to do this in a very like intentional way. And that was, that was, I mean, if you asked me like that emotion, when I read that and when I, when I discovered this, that this was a way I could approach it was like the relief. I can't even describe. It's just some sense of like being seen, being like, there was a light. It was like, okay, like there is hope in this other way that I have never tried before. That could be, it felt like an answer that I needed and it, it was. And I think I knew that quickly. Yeah. Your intuition knew it and sort of your intuition or your, like your choice to follow some of these counts, even though you were incredibly skeptical as many people are. Right. But that it sounds like really, and you can tell me if this is right, but that what made the treatment ineffective was diet culture's infusion into eating disorder treatment. And Mm -hmm. that having this person's experience and, and, and certainly there's other people describing that experience and now there's more movement behind yeah. the inclusivity and anti-diet work, but yeah, that's the difference. It makes the difference. Huge. I think that's, and we just don't like, and, and also what you said about permission actually gives this idea of control, but flexible control, not rigid control. Yeah. I think that that's such a truth that's it's, and I think we're getting somewhere with it now, but that eating disorder treatment in the classical training, like I, I mean, I'd been, I'd been to treatment centers, therapists, I've, I've done everything. Um, and there was diet culture in there. There was diet culture, culture embedded in every single professional that I had come across up until then. And it was, it was just a lay person who helped me understand this in a different way. And I think now there's more, definitely more non-diet dietitians and non-diet eating disorder clinicians. And, um, that this is an approach that's becoming more mainstream. I don't know how mainstream it, <laughs> to me it is. Cause I, there's progress, in, but there's I went to grad school not that long ago. And I, I was in, um, the weight management world and the eating disorder world at different places, but it was diet culture was everywhere. Involved. Yeah. And yeah, uh, it's, I mean, I do actually think the the eating disorder world is farther along, at least that's my yeah. professional take, okay. <laughs> but we got a long ways to go. Yeah, we do. But when, well, it just goes to show too, that when you're, when you can use social media for this, you know, to, to, for good and not for the toxic side of it, but for the actual, you know, to find the community that there, that exists in this non, you know, in the non-diet approach, um, it can really feel very pervasive. Like to me, because I'm inside of it every day, I feel very enclosed in it and I feel, I feel safe in it. And it feels like, yeah, like this, this seems like common knowledge now to me. Yeah. Um, and it's very much not, but that, um, I think the disservice, you know, is that there, it, that some of eating disorder treatment can perpetuate the eating disorders, which is, I believe why I was in it for 25 years. Um, and getting out of it was, I found it in social media. You know, I found that's how I found it. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah. And just hearing you describe, I'm sure I'm kind of getting chills and I, I'm sure I'm not the only one, this idea of just like that, that, 
learning to listen to your intuition, kind of see the pattern and, and kind of being in that moment in your, your kitchen and, and still not knowing yet, but having that like combination of emotions of like feeling a little bit of hope of like, I don't have to keep doing this. And, and yet what else, but even that moment sort of opened you up to maybe being open to this. What else? Yeah, it did. And I think you're right when you talk about um, the intuition, because I was so used to not trusting myself in general. I mean, it had been, that's what I learned to do essentially over all those years was not trust myself. And this was the first time that there was almost that sense of you can trust yourself and you, this feels right and go for that, go for that feeling. And it was, I think that was the first time. And that became, you know, it opened up a series, you know, of ongoing times that I would be able to feel something and know it to be true, even, even against what the world was telling me or what I had learned or what my conscious mind even wanted to, to believe. Um, and that was a foundational experience in terms of me beginning to trust myself in altogether, um, which I still work on. (laughs) Yeah. And had you heard of intuitive eating prior to like during your, Oh, not at all. Okay. No, I, I, I didn't. It was something I came across later. And I often talk about this where if I had known of intuitive eating, if I had read the book, I don't know. I might've, I don't know what it would have done because I'm, I know that you can almost turn that into another diet and I'm, and I know that that would have, I don't know, but I suspect that I might've been like, okay, here's a set of rules. And if I do this, then I'll just, I might've like turned it, but because this experience was so organic and uncharted at the time, it was like this, what is this about? Um, I just navigated it on my own. I get for a year. Um, and I, I made it up myself, you know, in terms of how I was going to apply it. There weren't, there was no framework. There were no principles. It was just this idea of what to do. Um, and doing that on my own. And then that became, that became, I mean, that year of my life changed everything since. And it's, it's changed my life in in a way that nothing else has, obviously it's changed it all. That's incredible. How long ago was that? How, if we can put it into context, give or take three three or four years ago now. So Yeah. It's almost like from the beginning or from when I felt like it was over. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, it was, it's so hard it was, to do timeline too. <laughs> I know. Time yeah. Over. It was, uh, I, I, and I was scared. It's not like I was like, okay, here's the answer. And now great, let's go. It was like, yeah. oh, this feels very real and right, but, but I'm terrified. And I, I, I sort of said to myself, okay, well, I'm going to take one year and I'm going to do this fully. I'm going to just try it this way. And if at the end of the year, I'm, I'm, I'm no better off then then I'll abandon ship and I'll go back to my old ways and I'll consider myself broken again. Um, but I didn't even need that long. I needed, uh, you know, within that year, things were shifting so much that I just, it was, it, I just never looked back after that. Yeah. That's, it's really quite an incredible story. And to going back to your idea of like finding intuitive eating, at least my, what I've heard is some of the earlier editions of intuitive eating had some sort of diet culture a little bit, like they, they very much moved away from that. And it's just, we're all in it and we were all in it. And yeah, I know for me, reading the book was very helpful, but it's still, you kind of plant the seed and then it takes root a little bit later. <laughs> like, yeah, at yeah least as most things. That's too. how it was for me. I was like, <laughs> I read it and I was like, this is great. And then I like did one more diet. And then I was like, yes. what am I doing? <laughs> and finally I was like, okay, I'm, I'm for yeah, sure done definitely. now. Very pivotal. Well, <laughs> I, I went back and um, 
I, I used to journal all the time and I went back and looked at some journals from like, I don't know, five or seven years ago. And I apparently had tried something like this before and I had never known it, but I don't think I was ready. I think at the time you could read, when I read it back, it's like, there's an idea of, of allowing foods and having food freedom, but there was also this overlay on my part of yes, but up to a point because, because you can allow that up to a point. And then when you start to gain weight, come up, then you have to stop, <laughs> you know, like that's too much. There were conditions that it was, and, and I saw that later. I, I didn't even remember doing it, but I, I saw it later and realized like there must've been seeds planted at that time, even, um, of this idea that I just couldn't get behind quickly enough to, to make it work. And then later, um, you know, maybe that helped my brain just sort of like digest it in, in enough time that it worked later on. Yeah, definitely. And I know I'm, I, I can relate to that. I know other people will be able to too, because, and, and I think it's, it's hard to like continue to lean in and trust this process. It's really scary. It's, there's a lot there. And, and, um, I know for me, I'm a very like sort of numbers person. And if I were to like graph my progress, like there was progress occurring, like you'd see some like little upticks. Right. And, and then some downticks for sure. But like, um, yeah, my, my process with this whole process actually felt a lot more gradual. I didn't have as many like, like rock bottom moment per se, although, but, but everyone's experience is so different. Yeah. I think being able to like honor that journey and honor, like there's going to be times when you're really like, I'm starting to get it. Like I'm starting to realize like the more permission I give myself, the more great and free I feel and, and more in control ironically. And yet it's still scary. And then something jumps in that makes you doubt that process and that's all part of the yeah. process and that's normal and you're you're on the right track so I'm hoping people can hear that in your story and sort of yeah. you know it gives them that you know persistence to say like I'm going to keep taking yeah. that next step for me whatever that is yeah I think that's an important point and and something that I talk about on uh, both on Instagram and you know in, with clients is the importance of of time um and I think it's the resilience that you develop when you stay with yourself over time. So like there's, and I, and I think about this with body image as well, like how many times you would feel like you were making progress or something, and then something would sort of set you back and you'd use that opportunity to just like self-abandon and to be like, uh, this is all for nothing. It's very black and white. Like, you know, and it's just like, I'm, I'm forget it. I'm not doing this. I'm a failure. I'm, I'm no good, whatever it is. And you just sort of like buy into that regression and you like, you go with it. And I think the process of saying, I feel awful. This feels terrible. I I'm doubting. I feel, I don't feel good. Mm -hmm. And then staying with yourself through it and trusting it and keep, get, keep moving forward, you know, and over time, the practice of doing that more and more is like a muscle that builds of like self reliance and self-trust and, um, and that resilience. And I think that that's essentially what happened to me over time is that I started to stay with myself more often through the doubt and fear. Um, and in so doing got stronger every time from it. I mean, that's such a cliche thing to say, but I, I, I really did feel yeah. that way. I, I yeah. felt, and I use it now, like now when I, in other areas of my life where I feel, oh no, like this thing, this thing, I feel this way. And I'm like, just, just stay, like, stay with this. And, yes. you know, whereas I tended to be someone who would abandoned ship pretty quickly, um, you know, in, in all my other endeavors yeah, in such life. Such an important, yeah, skill in all areas. I know I could probably use that with like 
business stuff. <laughs> yes. Like, oh yes. The way it shows up <laughs> through this for it's sure. Quite fascinating and mm-hmm. kind of rough. <laughs> but I'm with you. <laughs> yes. It's a, that, that's a, such an important point. That's, um, that's awesome. Thank you for, for sharing that. And yeah, I think, so you like, I'd love to delve into some of the, like the ways you describe. And again, people can find your Instagram account and I think they'll find a lot of value in that, but you had a post, this is the post that drew me to, to reach out to you. I'm allowing all foods, but I just feel like I'm binging all the time. Is this right? And you go through some really great questions that people can ask themselves to figure out what's going on. Cause I know a lot of people struggle with this. Yeah. Do you have a list of my, my here, let me pull it up. I don't have that right here, but I totally, I my memory. Just so I can speak to what I wrote. I, yeah, of course I'll find it, but you have so many, I mean, okay. so many different good posts since then. That was a few weeks ago. <laughs> we'll find it. Um, here it is. It's a post from a few weeks ago. So, well, first of all, you said the most important things to know are, yes, it's normal to eat a lot in the beginning and yeah. it's also possible to stay in the binge loop if the answers to slide five are yes. So first there is a sort of, you talk about like the honeymoon phase and that like, of course, when you've told yourself things are not allowed, there's excitement and you're going to be drawn to eating more to some extent. And you're not going to just jump into intuitively eating because you intellectually gave yourself permission to eat. Yeah. So I, that. Yeah, I, th- that one's a big one where I feel, um, I will have clients or, or followers, you know, write to me and say, I don't know if you could help me because I've been doing this. I have given myself permission and I'm still, I'm still binge eating. And what's going on is either they're still in a, in an initial phase because sometimes people will say, well, I've been doing this for two weeks, you know, like, and it's like, oh, well this takes longer than that. Um, or like, I remember last year, people had um, said, I made a new year's resolution to allow all foods. And, you know, mid January, I'm going, I want to go back to a diet. And I remember, um, I think I created a post at the time too, of, you know, it, it shouldn't be working yet. And just because we intellectually decide to, to give ourselves permission, um, there's, there's a whole practice and, and an embodied following through of that, that has to happen. And that number one, it, your body takes a longer time to catch up than, than just your mind. So your mind may make a decision, but your body is, doesn't trust you yet. So your body has months, years, potentially decades of, you know, a a very toxic relationship, um, mistrust and mistrust. Yeah. And it's like your body. And I always compare it to like a friendship. Like if you, if you had a friendship that was broken and you just recently made amends, there might be good intentions, but it would take time for that relationship to rebuild and for the trust to be there on both ends. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it is with your body. And so there's a good amount of like putting in that time that happens and that can take months, you know, months and months, um, before anything shows up differently. And so I think that the patience factor there is, um, you know, and I, I don't know how many people I drive away by saying that, but that, you know, this is going to take time. Like this is not a, an overnight fix. <laughs> right. Right. And yeah, I think that, um, and we'll go through the questions in a minute, but I think like, even for me as, as a psychologist who kind of found this work, wasn't trained in it, like found intuitive eating helpful personally, I, I think there's a lot of factors that made it a little bit like quote unquote faster for me, but really it wasn't fast. It was 13 years of like gradually moving away from like 
Yeah. And then when I read intuitive eating, I did like, I have a very vivid memory of being like, you're allowed to go to the grocery store and buy all the foods that you thought were like too sugary or too like too much or whatever, or too many carbs. And, um, and, and that process, at least looking back, it's, it's been a while, but it felt like quote unquote fast, but really it wasn't just that. And, and also it's like, it's such a process and it's so hard to be patient. And I think that even for me, like, yeah, just reminding like the people that I work with, right. Like it's, it's going to be individual and, and yeah, that trust that building up over time, I think I'd laid some foundation of trust with my body prior to that. Like it's, and so sometimes it's that, but I think of like the compound interest effect. You don't always see the mm. like outcome that you want, which is like more freedom, more control in a flexible way and feeling more trust with yourself. You don't see it right away. You have to kind of right. show up for your body consistently and say, yeah, I'm listening. I'm here yes. and stay and, with yourself and against odds. Yes, exactly. And, and against the odds. So if it was easy, I think that would, you know, you give you, you, trust doesn't develop easily. So it is the, the act of like f- having the fears and the doubts and then seeing yourself through that, that develops the trust itself. Cause we can, it's easy to do if it's, if everything's smooth, but it's the, the trust occurs with your body when, yeah, there is the, the, the temptation to restrict right after the binge. And it's the act of not doing that at over and over again. Um, like when those impulses are particularly strong to, that shows the body, wow, like we didn't this time, even though everything would have, you know, everything we can see would have called for that to happen. And that would be, that was, we were really tempted, but we didn't, that was, that develops the trust over the long term. So when binges are going on, even when you are allowing all foods that that can be a completely normal part of the process, that is just a matter of like trust still being built. Um, but it can also, there's other reasons for this too. And I mean, there might also be an intellectual allowing, but not, not a, a true allowing of food. So again, like it might be like, I'm allowing foods, but I should only, I'm, I'm only allowed to have a certain amount of them, or I'm only allowed to have them at certain times. It's too much if I'm having too many. And, um, you know, I reflect back where in the, in that journal entry that I mentioned, like I, I wrote about allowing all foods and I wrote about how I'd had ice cream, but I couldn't keep doing this because I was having too much ice cream. And it was like, there was a parameter around what allowing meant. Mm -hmm. And so investigating what that means, like what is going on when you say you're allowing all foods, are there conditions of on that? Um, and that that matters too, because that will introduce the mental restriction piece, if not the physical restriction piece, um, Mm -hmm. of judgment that may be going on and producing those binges also. Yeah, absolutely. And then, and then, yeah, so let's go through these questions because I think they're really great five questions that you can, if you continue to see this pattern Mm -hmm. of binge eating, these are great questions to ask yourself. So first of all, am I allowing all foods all the time or just within a binge episode? So that's a really important distinction and kind of goes to what you're saying. There's sometimes food rules are obvious. Sometimes they're hidden, but if they really like, it doesn't take much to keep the cycle going. It's, I always think of it as like this, um, when you're, when you kind of experience that full freedom, like it really feels like sort of something that's been cut and like, it actually feels free, but it, there's a lot of like little threads that we have to look for that are still like little, mm-hmm. very, and maybe sometimes not obvious threads holding us back. So again, is there a rule there? I'm allowed now, but not later. Yeah. That happens a lot. I, I have, um, 
I have some clients who will come to me saying, I've been doing this for a long time. And then what they describe is, you know, but it's not working. And then, and then what they'll describe is saying, like, in theory, I allow all foods in theory. Um, and then really they're only being eaten inside of a binge. Um, because when the binge happens, it's like, well, I'm allowed to eat. It's a kind of like the excuse for the binge. It's like, okay, I'm yeah. giving my, myself permission to binge. And there's a difference between permission to binge and permission to eat all foods that yes. there are two different things. Um, yeah. and that oftentimes it's like, we're trying to get away with allowing them, but not really eating them. <laughs> and then, then, then giving ourselves a permission only once it becomes, um, like the primal brain goes on and it's fighting you anyway. And that is a, that's a, a cycle. I see a lot of people getting into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. And the next question is, am I eating with intention or am I numbing out when I eat? It's a very yeah. important one too. Definitely. So, I mean, mindfulness as, you know, as a word always made me cringe when it came to food because it was, it was used, um, in such a diet culture way as a way of just eating less. And that, I mean, there's definitely like, there's courses I took on that, (laughs) you know, and the whole point was to eat less, but truly, um, you know, mindfulness in its productive um, form is about, um, like it's permission to to eat all foods again is not permission to numb out. It's not permission to, you know, to, to cover emotions with food. It's about permission to eat on purpose and to eat because it's what you want and with intention um, and eating slow and in, in front of others, this whole, um, you know, eating on purpose is, is how I refer to it versus eating in a way where we're just che- using it to check out of an experience and that, and that matters. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I always tell people too, like, it's not like you don't, um, you know, down the road, like, it's not like you have to always sit down and eat. That is not, that's a food rule and that's not helpful, but you, especially as you're actively working on this, it can be helpful to bring that intentionality to the experience because otherwise it can perpetuate that cycle and just leave you frustrated. And I think that that's, um, yes, there's a lot of, greatness and mindfulness. And there's also a lot of like use of that word that is honestly still, I think, confusing to a lot of people, rightfully Mm -hmm. so, because it's, Mm -hmm. it's somewhat like mindfulness is a very unique experience. It's just being present and being with yourself, kind of like you were saying. So, um, yeah. And question three is, um, somewhat related because mindfulness talks a lot about like non-judgment, but the question, am I eating without guilt is a very important one to ask yourself too. And And that is, that's a tough one for people. It is. And it's, it's also like, it takes work to dismantle that because I, I, yeah, we all want to be eating with, you know, I remember I didn't want to be judging my food, but I was, it was like, well, how do you stop that? That's another one of those things. That's like, not just a decision you make overnight. It's something you work at. It's something you work at untangling. And, um, I work with people via like text as well. We we meet and then we have, I have WhatsApp text support. And so what happens is that people will call, um, will call, they will text me in the moment of, I just ate this thing and I'm having like a lot of uh, guilt hangover about it. Like I, 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 I'm so, you know, and we talk that through in real time because I think it's that like active, again, there's a mindfulness about this of, of being aware of when you're judging, because sometimes we don't even realize that we are because we're just so used to it or it feels correct. It feels like, well, of course I'm judging, um, pizza because it's so bad for me. You know, like there's this belief yeah, that that's almost, true. Yeah. Buy into it in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. So you think yeah. it's right. And it's really calling into question 
by being more aware of like, wait, what does judgment even feel like? And when am I judging things that don't like, where are these things showing up that just feel so automatic that they feel true? Um, and starting to question those things more and more when we're experiencing the guilt and knowing, okay, if I'm experiencing guilt, there must be a rule that I feel I broke. So how do I process this? And, um, doing that daily, um, and sometimes having the support of someone to help you point that out, that that's even going on or to be that sounding board of like organizing your thoughts around, Oh, I, I am judging this food and that actually doesn't make sense or that's not in alignment with what I'm trying to do. I see that now um, is really helpful as a process of untangling that mental restriction Mm -hmm. um, and the guilt that can produce binges as well. Because like we talked about like that mental restriction piece can be just as powerful as any physical restriction of food as far as your brain is concerned. Because your brain is just hearing that something is wrong, bad, and therefore the expectation is that it will be withheld or that there will be compensation. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And I love that example because it just shows that like this guilt is not very, it's not like usually it just, just don't feel guilt. Right. And it's very often we need to bring in support persons into our life, whether that's a professional or whether that's a coach and well, who's also a professional and, or even like a friend that you really trust. Like there's so many ways to like expand that. And it can also be journaling, but that's harder. It's harder to do this yeah. stuff on our own and we can, you can absolutely do it. But for, I've, always talk about like social support in your system is like the number one predictor of change, but people that get the model, right. Of like, that they're really going to understand. We have to make space for complicated feelings. Yeah. Cause it gets so muddled in your own brain. I feel because it's you, you know, so you're, Mm -hmm. you're, you have so much baggage attached, whereas bringing it out into the world and letting someone else look at it is, helpful for making it objective and pointing it out. And, um, we just get lost. I, I did anyway, like for me, my own thoughts would get so swirly and judge and then the, this judgment and that judgment and this memory of why I deserve this judgment, you know, all of that comes together and complicates and muddies this process. Whereas like having a place to organize your thoughts and see them objectively Mm -hmm. is so helpful. And I think it does make the process go faster. Oh, absolutely. And just the, the impact of the, the shame cycle and how much that can keep us like, it makes us hold stuff in. And yet like, actually going back to my business example, just because that's something I'm going through currently, I'm in a business training and I haven't been showing up to the calls and sharing what I'm struggling with because I'm ashamed. I feel like I should know this, which doesn't even Mm -hmm. make sense. And, (laughs) and I just showed up with like a one-on-one person who's in my program, but she's just like a, a, a friend in the program. And she's like, what? Like, but nicely. (laughs) And so it's just like someone to be like, yeah, maybe, maybe do show up to the calls. Like you're not, you're definitely not the only one who feels that way. And so it's just, we all need this in so many different areas of our life. So it's just a nice reminder. Absolutely. Yes. (laughs) Again, once again, I like completely relate. It shows up everywhere else. So it's a skill you're learning inside of this, but that hopefully more or less extends to other areas too, at least in theory. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes. It's transferable. I think I'm learning faster than I would have in the past. Yeah, exactly. totally. <laughs> I'm in the training, at least <laughs> I'm getting help <laughs> talking about it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Oh, and then, um, the next question is a very, very important one as well. Am I still trying to control my weights? So this is a really, really big one for probably many, many people, probably most, yeah. not, maybe not everyone, um, who struggles with this, but I think it shows up a lot in people in my community for sure. Yeah. And 
not to be not, there's no shame in that. Like there's, this is a pervasive, um, thing we do and it's a concern and it's real and valid, but it also is something that gets in the way of allowing all foods. So when there is an idea of controlling weight, then there there's got to be rules, um, around what you're allowed to eat and not eat and when, and how much, and that is, that's just inherently there. If, if there is an, a, there's a cap then on where there's a, there's a condition where allowing all foods would become too much or, or it's like, it, 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 it's no longer relevant if weight control is part of the equation just by nature. So, and that, you know, that that's, I, yeah, probably one of the most important questions to ask if that's going on, um, then that's, then likely there's, there's rules going on and there's judgment of food. Um, it has to be, that's how weight control works. So th- that being present would be an indication that there's definitely that the binges are still happening. Then we, um, thinking about weight and trying to control weight would be one of the primary drivers of that. Yeah. I'm curious what you think about this, because I, I often talk to people about like, it's, it's very normal and common, kind of like you were saying, like, there's nothing to feel bad about if you like people in my community, sometimes will be like, Oh, a diet mentality came up and like, Ooh, and they try to like change it really quickly. And which is good to have that awareness, but it's like, don't worry about like, that's not bad. You're not bad. It's almost impossible to go through the world without having those thoughts. And so it's being able to like, Oh, okay. Can like notice that and notice that as more of like maybe a red flag of like, okay, there's something else we have to look for. And now often that is looking for what's, what's the food role. Let's just be curious and try to understand how the food role ties to this desire because that so often, and we also talk about like, yeah. So I'm just curious your, your thoughts on yeah. that. I mean, I totally agree with you in that. I'm like having the thoughts that they're going to be there and they might be there alongside of the whole process and that it's not about necessarily getting rid of them because the culture will keep putting them back. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's knowing what to do with them. And so for me, it was like, I had to keep reminding myself of my, my value system as I was moving through this, because it had shifted away from weight control as primary to recovery as primary. And that my goal was to make peace with food and with myself more so than it was to control my weight, which did not mean that I didn't have any interest in my weight. Cause I did, I still, it mattered to me, but it, it wasn't my primary motivation anymore. And I would, you, your brain will flip right back into what's easy. So it, what's easy is to go back to what it's familiar, the whole weight control. Like this is our purpose. This is our intention. It so easily reverts there. And I would have to be like, Oh, wait, wait, that's not what I'm doing anymore. Um, yeah. so I'm having these thoughts and yes, it makes sense for these thoughts to be here. Can I, recognize that they're there, sort of see them as separate from me, um, and not identify with them and then remind myself what I'm doing. Um, and what does, how does that change my decisions now? How does that change the way I'm looking at this potential food rule? Oh yeah. It no longer applies. (laughs) So I can move on, you know, and sort of looking at it as like, yeah, totally normal. It's okay. It can come along for the ride. It just can't start driving. Yes. Yes. And how do I kind of like even tangibly next, next meal, how do I nourish myself today? Next meal, next, whatever, self-care behavior, next thing. And then, so I, I hope people can hear that of like that. That's okay. Like allowing, like we talk about psychological flexibility, which is basically like, yeah, the thought's still there. It's just not in the driver's seat in front of your face. We're just like, "Eh, it's just hanging out. We don't, we don't love it. We wish it was away, but yeah. Right. Just can't be Uh, driving. 
Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'll say the last one and then I know I want to be mindful of your time. So we'll do our motivation questions, but, um, do I, the last question is, do I still have food, uh, rules about when, what, and, or how much I'm allowed to eat. So we've kind of touched on this a a bit as we've been going. They all overlap. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, having those rules is part of that mental restriction, weight control, and will still be perceived by the body as restriction. So, and restriction breeds binging. So how all that connects. (laughs) Yes. And, and being like curious and, and sort of just like actually viewing, finding that as a good thing is kind of what we've been saying too, of Mm -hmm. like, good job self. You discovered like a a rule, don't beat yourself up about it, but be like, cool. That's good to know. know. Yeah. So, well, wonderful. And, um, so we'll ask, do you have a couple of minutes? I yeah, want to yeah, be mindful ahead. of your time, but um, we'll ask our motivation questions and then we'll kind of do some main takeaways or sort of like what you want people to know. But um, we always ask people about different types of motivation. So I'm curious what one thing you have truly intrinsic motivation for. So you do it for the inherent mm. satisfaction from the behavior itself. Like you enjoy it, maybe find mm. it challenging and or satisfying in its own right. <laughs> oh, I'm kind of a dork. Um, so I just <laughs> love, like I, I would just be in school for the rest of my life. If I could, I love learning just mm-hmm. intrinsically. Yeah. So anytime um, my brain is like wrapping itself around a new concept, um, whether that's like a, a, I'm taking a certification in something or just reading a book. Um, right now I'm learning a lot about boundaries and um, resentment and things like that. So like, it's all like information that is being presented to me just in a new way. And I'm just devouring that. And I'll just get into a state of like, I lose track of time and I'm just, um, like just, yeah. Consuming new information and learning for me is yeah. One of my, yeah, intrinsically there. (laughs) That's awesome. Was that ever taken away from you in terms of like in school or external, like constraints, you know, and I, sometimes when I was in school, I didn't love reading as much, but now I love it again, that kind of thing. I, what do you mean? Like a taken away? Taken away. Yeah. Meaning like, so I think school systems can sometimes take away love of learning because it's oh. too outcome focused, too grades focused. Mm. Oh, kind I of, see. So we think about like external motivation and internal, that's the internal learning motivation. Yeah. Actually, a lot of people have that, but it does get taken away, unfortunately, because they're not able to. Yeah. So, but maybe you've been able to maintain it, which is. I, I have um, in that I didn't need it to be school driven. So I'll find it on my own, but I have gotten bored in school and, um, I'll just check out (laughs) and then I just do my own thing on the side. So I'll find ways of, of make, of, of learning on my own. Um, okay. Yeah. 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 Um, and then the next question is from a should choose to. So this is, um, about what we call integrated motivation. So this is an example of a behavior that was always a should for you. Maybe Mm. you struggled to do in the past, but you figured out a way to do it more consistently, um, either because you value it as part of your identity, even if you don't always intrinsically love it. That was, um, exercise for me. I, and running in particular, running was some, was a should and running was not something I enjoyed at all, especially when I would like get on a treadmill and do it. Cause like, like in the middle of winter, um, oh my gosh, I, how much I did not like that at all. And I would push myself. And now, um, it's so interesting because when I became a mom, my husband was like, go outside, just go outside. You need some space. When he would come home from work, I'd be all frazzled and I would go outside and just walk. And then I started to jog, but it was outside, like in the, like it was in this height of the summer. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I love being out here. I love just being away. It's my own time. I get to think. 
Um, and it carried on. And now it is one of the ways like I organize my thoughts. Um, I will still never get on a treadmill in the winter, but I love going outside. And that is a way that like, like exercise for me has become so inherently rewarding, um, outside of any, any thoughts of weight loss or like that is not part of it at all anymore. Um, and that's been so pleasant for me, like to, to find something like to, to chat, to watch something shift like that. It really is cool. Um, I, yeah, I never thought of it like that, but yeah, that, that, that's definitely true for running. Yeah. It sounds like it's very much associated with, um, relaxation, enjoyment, self-care, the inherent benefits you get immediately from, from doing yeah. it. And you're starting to like, you are starting to know it more and then maybe gradually because of the journey you were on also untying yeah, it, it became from, relevant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Untying it from the other things that it used to could have been associated with as it yeah, is. For and so it was people. at one time the transactional nature of exercise can very much zap the joy of it. So yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, well, wonderful. And what I'd love to hear, um, like what you'd love people to know if they're in this sort of binge restrict cycle right now. Um, the most important thing I try to communicate is that your body is not acting against you. This whole, the idea of self-sabotage and like, like that you're your own worst enemy. Um, I think for, I mean, obviously I'm projecting a bit here. Like I, I really believed that I was, um, that binges were, were, were my enemy and that they were not helping me and why, and why do I do this to myself? And that really binging is, um, it's a signpost. It's something that is, in your body is intending in order to protect, to protect you. Um, and that it makes sense. And I think for people to feel like they're binging actually makes sense, even if they're not quite sure how or why, um, is part of my message is trying to explain the ways in which this does make sense and the ways in which we can work with it, um, to find a more authentic path in general. Um, and that, that is for me, it was actually such a, um, oh my gosh, I, I'm not going to say it like this. Cause it's so, I'm just going to say a gift and I'm not going to say that. Um, it just sounds too, <laughs> too rope, <laughs> but it was like one of those things where when I figured out how the message behind her, what it was pointing me towards that, that helped open me up a lot. And, um, I can understand now how everything really did make sense. And it has just like made my world so much bigger to work with it than to work against it. And to, um, feel like it wasn't me that was broken. It was just, it was just a culture that I was living in that was sort of pointing me in the wrong direction and and making me interpret this in the wrong way. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I am going to ask one more question because I'm so curious yeah. now. I love questions, but that so much of what I, I love doing is moving people away from ineffective dieting. So particularly women can live more courageous and connected lives. Is there any examples of places where you feel like you've been able to increase that feeling of feeling more connected in your life or like, what's the biggest like win for you in terms of like yeah. what you've been able to change? Well, as a child, I was um, always really creative and that just got blunted as I got older. I was so disconnected from myself and so disconnected from joy and creativity altogether. And um, as I healed my relationship with food and my body, I actually started not on purpose. I just started finding creativity again and um, writing and um, this work that I do, like even making posts on Instagram and like, and writing blogs became such an outlet for me that I felt like was so me. It was like a way that I found myself again, um, quite unintentionally, but how much that coincided with my recovery um, 
has been for me, one of the most rewarding parts of recovery is that I found a piece of myself that I think had gotten buried. Um, and I think we're all created. I mean, we all have yeah. versions of creativity and that yeah. it's a, it's one of my pillars of healing actually. Well, I mean, my, um, in a guide that I wrote, I, I, I think that finding and tapping into the ways that we express ourselves physic, like through, um, you know, a concrete outlet is healing in and of itself. And it's also a part of who we are. Yeah. It's, it's really incredible to think I'm actually, again, sort of like getting like this sort of pit in my stomach of like, that's, um, that's what we need more of. We need more again, nothing against men, (laughs) women to get like, get out of this ineffective cycle because, there's a lot of problems in the world. There's a lot of problems to heal and not just relationship with food. You're doing an incredible job. And again, like I was so drawn to the way that you break these topics down. And I think you just have a, a very unique gift to use your word you. um, with that because <laughs> we needed you to break out of that cycle to contribute that gift. And I think there's so many women who have a variety of unique gifts mm-hmm. in a variety of areas. And, and so anyway, it's just oh, uh, I'm very passionate about that. And I, I think it's, it's, that's, yeah, yeah, it's very true. So. Oh, cool. Thank you. I like how you put that. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here today and for sharing your, your knowledge and your um, skills with us today. Is there, um, where can people find you uh, best? I know I mentioned Instagram a bunch of times. We'll, we'll tell people the spelling of it. It's I am <laughs> Stephanie with an F and an I E. So S T E F A N I E and Michelle with one L, but we'll link to that. <laughs> I always, I always joke that my parents had no idea that um, social media would be a thing or they would never have made the spelling of my name. like just so yes. different. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't have taken my husband's name Hondorp because it's very, <laughs> it's just like too much. It's Let's just always keep it Hondorp simple. and it's not. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, but I, I am on Instagram and Facebook as I am Stephanie Michelle. I also have a website. I am stephaniemichelle.com and I have a podcast too. I um, co-host Life After Diets um, with the binge eating therapist, Sarah Dosange. Um, so any of those places I have one-to-one group, uh, one-to-one and group coaching available as well. Wonderful. Well, we will link to all of that. Thank you so much, Stephanie Michelle, for being here. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you for tuning in today. Your time is valuable and it means so much to me that you're here. Despite the title of this podcast, many of our topics are not always easy. Change is hard and let's face it, life and truly looking inward at ourselves can be uncomfortable. That's why I'm grateful. Grateful for you and your willingness to listen, learn, and keep an open mind. I invite you to learn more by going to drshawnhondorp.com or finding me on Instagram at psychology.of.wellness. If you're enjoying this podcast, it would be amazing if you could give it a review so more people can find it. Thanks, and I truly hope you have an energetic and inspired day.